Amen. I feel like saying, well, I will say it. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. We're down to the last Saturday of camp meeting, and it's a blessing to be here. Usually, usually on sat- the second Saturday, we're in the cafeteria getting ready to, to serve all day. So it's a blessing to be here on the second Saturday for morning meeting. And I'm, at, I'm excited about tonight being here for the last Saturday, last Saturday service. Usually we're in the cafeteria working and we don't get to enjoy all that as, you know, as everybody shakes hands and hugs and sings till we meet again. But I'm, I've been thinking about that, um, you know, the last, last Saturday and... You know, as we get ready to leave this place and we go back to our lives and what the Lord has for us and what we can do for the Lord as we leave this place, we leave the, you know, as I, I like to think of it as the protection of the campground, you know, we go back to, go back to the world. You know, we're, we're isolated here, I feel like, or insulated from this. And I want to jump, I want to jump into it. Um, I've been thinking about that. How do we reach, reach out to people? How do we connect with people? Um, we had our evangelism meeting Monday about what each church is doing. And Sister Cindy said that the, the sanctified life is, is our basest form of evangelism. I believe that's pretty much what you, what you said, and I believe that. Whether we're online, um, talking to people online, whether we're in, in church, whether we're at Starbucks talking to people or at the grocery store or wherever, our sanctified life should impart to people the glory of God and, and, the, and the beauty and value of sanctification, of living a holy life, to be different and set apart, not just set apart. Somebody tried to tell me, well, sanctification just means set apart. I said, no. I said, by its very definition, sanctification means to be holy. Sanctus is the Latin word for holy. So we're set apart for a holy purpose. Thought about that and thought about, um, you know, when a person decides to become a Christian, you know, we hear that out, out in, in, the, in the world. People, well, I became a Christian or I gave my life over or to Christ. It isn't about imitating Christ. Well, I'm just going to imitate Christ and just ask myself what Jesus would do in every situation. No. It's where you let his spirit dwell inside you. You become the son of God and he becomes, he becomes your life. Everything you do, it's not about, well, I wonder what Jesus would do in this instance. You allow him to live his life through you so you don't have to worry about imitating it. It isn't an imitation. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, they say. But it's not about imitation. It is about letting Christ take over and live his life through us. How do we communicate that to people? How do we get that over to, to the world where, I, and, and, and I, people at home forgive me, but I'm, I want to know, I, I've given up debating people. Not that, because I, I, can't, I can't win people over by using, using scripture, or because more often than not, if, if something is there where you have to debate people, the devil will be right there, right there, and, and they'll, they'll counter it, and, some, and more often than not, it will turn into a, into a match where, you know, neither one of you leaves like you've, like you've accomplished anything. So if, if I ever talk to someone that says, you can't live without sin, it's impossible to live that way. And that doctrine is so prevalent. What people believe that you can't, that you can't live without sin and that it's once saved, always saved, that when they believe that or they feel that way, the only thing that I can tell somebody is, well, if you don't believe it, try it. 
Give it a day, give it a week, give it a month, a year. Give it the rest of your life to allow God to come in and take over. But like a trial, you know, how often do people call you and say, we'd like to give you a free trial of this, but we have to get your credit card number. So once the trial period is over, then we can start charging you money. Well, if you sign up for that, then you're going to be committed to that so that if it works, you're not all of a sudden six months down the road thinking, oh, I need to cancel that, that trial period. But if you will commit yourself to God, if you will ask God, if you'll say, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. If you will tell God that and you will give yourself over to that in faith and allow God to work, he will show you that it is not just an improvement on your life to or, or, or that he that it's by the blood of Jesus, but His Spirit will come in and He will dwell. He will He will give you something you've never had before. Yep. That He will come in and take up His abode with us. Yeah. I'm thankful for that. Yes. That it's happened in my life. Thankful that it's that it's just happened. We've witnessed it. Yes. People that have people that have given their lives over to God, and you see their countenance change when they get up from the altar. That right there tells me that it's not. That it's not make-believe. It's not just something in the mind, but it's something that shines out from us. Each person who has been sanctified and and has received God's Spirit in their heart. Think about the, the, you know, I've said this before. I'll say it again. In what universe does it even make sense that the God who created the world for us to serve Him... And then for that God who created us to serve him is confounded by something that he created, sin. In what universe does that even make sense? That God would be confounded by that and say, well, just, you know, just do the best you can. There's really nothing I can do. I made sin and I made it so that you would be confounded that way and that we couldn't really have the relationship that I wanted before I created you. So just do the best you can. I read in Oswald Chambers, uh, my utmost for his highest the other day. Um, and this isn't a quote, but this is pretty much paraphrasing it. What a terrible tragedy it would be if Jesus came to live the holy life that he did, only to be the, you know, have the carrot as if you were dangling it before the mule or the nana nana boo boo. You know, I'm, I'm telling you to live a holy life, but you can't do it. What sense does that even make? Christ lived a holy life to show us how we could do it. And everything that he did, every miracle that he did, how many miracles did he perform where where he told the person, now, you know, this may not take effect right away. So just go home and just wait on it to work. Just about every miracle that Christ performed immediately. The lame man, it says, and immediately his ankle received strength. And he went on his way leaping and praising God. I mean, the woman with the issue of blood, she was touched immediately. And Christ knew that the virtue had went out. I'm telling you, if you don't believe that, that, that God can save you from sin, you need to read and dig in your Bible and ask God and, and quit making excuses. Tell the devil, say, get out of here. I want to, I want to feel God's presence. I'm, I've got several places turned down, but I think I can quote them in the interest of time to, to, um, to, uh, I, I think I can because they're, they're familiar scriptures. Um, but the one scripture that I did want to read, and I wanted to make sure that I got it right. You know, there are chapters that we read in the Bible um, where you look at it and you think, well, why did they start the chapter there? Why couldn't they have started it a few verses early? The six, earlier, the sixth chapter of Hebrews is one of, those, one of those places to me. I'm going to start at the 13th verse of the fifth chapter. 
Because my belief is, or my thought is, if somebody is saved and they have eternal security in that, or, um, you know, that they can't help but sin, what is the point of encouragement? What is the point in trying to encourage somebody to live a holy life, to allow God to work in their lives so that they can be ready to give an account for their life, to touch someone else, to show the difference? Our uh, brother George Miller years ago preached a sermon, said, he changed me from darkness to light. How much is that? It's not partial light that God gives you. How many times do we read in Rally, Rally Round the Cross? In Bible school we studied, when, when, uh, when God's people believed What did they do? They took the city or the territory, wherever. They conquered those people completely. But when they didn't believe, did they take part of the city? Were they allowed to go in and coexist with the people that God asked them to destroy? No. What was the the story about? Was it, um, I preached on this not too long ago at home. Was it it the the city of Ai and Achan? He He took those vessels. And because of that, because of that disobedience, God completely did not allow them to have that victory after they had just destroyed the, the wall of the city of Jericho. The city of Ai should have been, should have been a piece of cake for them. But because of, because of their unbelief, God didn't allow them to take the city. So it is that way. Because of your unbelief, you won't just be partially saved or just, uh, uh, just God will allow you. And that's another thing. I have noticed that in reading, um, that in reading um, about people being saved, they, they believe that they are using the term sanctification more. I'm reading that. You know, it used to be that people, well, what is sanctification? I've never read that word. Well, now they, they say, well, we believe in sanctification, but we'll, we believe it's a process. I'm not, I'm not sure that they're, that they're understanding. Immediately, the man received strength in his ankle bones. Um, Lazarus wasn't partially raised. When he came out of that grave, Jesus told him, loose him and let him go. It wasn't a partial bringing out of the grave. Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't partially resurrected. He came out of that, gra- that grave and walked right out fully alive. And, and then Mary Magdalene tried to touch him and he said, touch me not for I'm not ascended yet to my father. Meaning, meaning that he had more power that he wasn't, his body wasn't where the power was. That there was something within him that, give, that had given him life. And he told her, don't, you're not able to handle it. Just like, just like um, man was, God put that flaming sword at the tree of life. Man in his sinful state wasn't able to partake of that. But once we're given the spirit, we're able to have life and have it more abundantly. Anyway, I'm sorry. Sorry. Um, y'all forgive me. I'm, but you read this Bible. I remember Brother Harry Collins. God bless that man. Every sermon I listened to from him, when he would preach, help, Lord, help us to be like that. That when we preach, when we show the word, to help us to encourage people. How could you listen to him and not want to say, you know what? That sermon made me want to go home and read my Bible more. Made me want to have a deeper relationship with God because it's there for you. As Brother Joseph Clellan preached one time, he said, it's for you. It's for every one of you. Anyway, for everyone that useth milk. uh, I'm sorry, let me start at the 12th verse. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers... You have need that one teach you. Meaning that Paul is kind of kind of getting on to them a little bit. You know, you should be further along than you, farther along than you are. You know, you've kind of slacked off. You know, you should have been teachers, but now you have somebody that needs to teach you. That tells that tells me that 
that God, that when we're sanctified, we're given, as I put it, as I say at home, we're given the secret Dakota ring. And the Bible says that. It says, for we are, we are given the spirit of discernment. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Because he was talking to the Hebrews, and they had been given that. They understood. They had been given the oracles of God. They'd been given the law, and they understood that. All of that that was the pattern teaching us to, uh, the, to, to bring us to Christ. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Yeah. You know, you should be eating meat by now. But you're not. You're like, you're like a baby. They, they, they still needs to drink that milk. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful. That's pretty harsh. That's pretty harsh. God help us. God help us to dig into the word, to dig a little deeper, to want that relationship with God so that somebody, that, someone that we come in contact with, we can explain to them. How many opportunities do we miss? We don't have any idea how many opportunities we miss. You know, I want to be ready. It says, it says for us, be instant in season and out of season. Is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belong to, belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. There's that, here's that secret decoder ring I was talking about. To discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Amen. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. What does it say in Thessalonians? For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. God wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to be entirely sanctified. He wants you to be instantaneously sanctified. Not in some salvation that you feel like, well, you know, I'm just, I'll just grow a little bit at the time. Let me tell you something. If you believe in growing just a little bit at the time, it won't happen. You'll be just like Paul Paul talks about in the seventh chapter of Romans. You're not partially saved. You're not initially sanctified at the first work. Some people believe that, that you're that you you get initially sanctified when you when you get converted. If that happens, if if that if it happens like that, um, or somebody believes that, I want them to, to read about the power that was given on the on the day of Pentecost. Jesus told them, He said, He said. He said, tarry here in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He told them, tarry here. He didn't say, go preach a little bit. Just see what you can do. He told them to tarry there and to pray and to wait for the promise of the Father. We have to wait on that. There's nothing that we can do until we get that, the spirit of sanctification in our, in our hearts. And this will we do if God permit. Listen to this. For it is impossible. Now we read in the Bible, for all things are possible with God. But this is impossible. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. This is how how powerful this is. And, And were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. 
if they shall fall away. And you read, you don't have to read very far. You just do a search on these verses. And it is amazing how mixed up people believe. uh, They interpret these verses and what they believe. They'll say, well, you really can't fall away. Um, That's, it's the translation wasn't right. Or this shouldn't have even been in the Bible. It was just, it was just put in there errantly. Yeah, whatever, you know, God is perfect. There is not a word in this Bible that does not carry the weight that God intended for it to have. It just, it just doesn't. That's not the God that I serve. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Well, you know, I have to sin. All Christians sin. Everybody sins. But I just ask God for repentance, and that just that, that fixes it. Listen to this. Let me read this again. For it is impossible... For those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, he will come unto you and teach you all things whatsoever I have sent unto you and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Not power in this world, not the power that the world knows that they think. And these were Hebrews. Remember, remember the Hebrews had lived under the doctrine of repentance. That's what they knew. That's what they were familiar with. But Paul is, I believe it's Paul that wrote the letter to the Hebrews. I mean, you know, I know there's no clear cut answer on that. But I believe it's Paul because certain things that he says, people that he references in the book of Hebrews, I believe it's Paul because he was qualified to talk to the Hebrews and give them this dissertation on, on what sanctification and holiness and everything that was pointed to in the old scriptures, what it represented and how it means that God is calling for your all in holiness and put him to an open shame. When people sin and repent and sin and repent, they are crucifying him afresh. It says in Romans, it says in Romans in the fifth chapter, and I'm not going to get in all what that means. I'll, I'll save that for another sermon. Let's see, is it the fifth chapter? It says, it says that he was crucified for our offenses, but he was raised again for our justification. He was crucified for our offenses. So when you sin and repent and sin and repent, you're crucifying him afresh. That's how I look at that. That may be wrong, you may say, and that's fine. You know, I'm still the, God is, God is dealing with me in scripture, but that's how I look at that. That when you sin and you repent and you feel like there's nothing else to it, you are crucifying the son of God afresh. He didn't just die and that was it, but Christ was crucified to be resurrected, to be given life, to show us the pattern whereby we die out to sin and are raised again into, to everlasting life. That's right. And to them that look for him the second time, shall he appear without sin unto salvation. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. It also says salvation through sanctification. As Brother Joseph preached one time, he said, nobody has ever received salvation at forgiveness. It takes going on and getting sanctified. And here's what Paul, here's what Paul says. Here's what Paul says that shows, that, that illustrates this. 
For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. We've received rain at home in the, in the, the, the past few weeks, and it's amazing that even as hardy as Bermuda uh, grass is, in the summertime, if we don't get enough rain, it starts to go dormant because it's basically in shock and it doesn't grow. It turns brown, and that's its way of preserving itself, is that it, it doesn't... It doesn't continue to grow because it's it's starved for nutrition or nutrients but because of the rain that's come on it that grass is growing you know uh, people that cut my grass they cut it every other week and it's almost so, so tall in two weeks and it's starting to spread and it needs to be etched across the driveway that it's just it's thriving god wants us to thrive and he gives us everything that we can, we that we need to thrive, not a starved existence, not just a get-by existence, but God wants us to thrive. And that's what sanctification allows us. The glory that he gives us, the spirit that he fills us with, that is a perpetual state of blessing. If we want it, if we crave it, if we seek it and reading, meditating and praying, that's what God can give us. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected. You notice that if there's, if there's ground that doesn't have that grass on it, what happens? The weeds, the thorns and the briars, the things that you don't desire, they come up and they start taking over that ground because it doesn't have any nutrish, uh, nutrients, nutrients or water, but the, but, the, but the stuff that doesn't have a deep root, that's what comes in. And that's what I think he's talking about in this, in this verse, to renew them again to repentance. If you've tasted of the Holy Ghost, you've tasted of the power of the world to come, it's impossible. To, new, to renew you again to just a state of repentance, that that restores your relationship with God. He says in Revelation, he says, you must begin the first works again. But that is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. That's not a good end. Whose end is to be burned. I don't, God doesn't want us to have that kind of existence. He created us to serve him. We were born to serve the Lord. Amen. Our bodies were not made to serve sin. Not even, in the, not even in the simplest, the state of, well, you know, one sin a day or two sins a day is acceptable. No, our bodies were not made to, to sin. We were born to serve the Lord. Right, a right. sinful life is hard on our body. But the life of, of, of God that we choose is pleasing unto God. One of the memory verses in Bible school. For length of days and long life, that's what God gives you. Now, maybe not a long life in terms of, of years, but in terms of spiritual life, that's what God gives us because he wants us to be sanctified examples to the people that we come in contact with. I want to be the kind of person that God wants me to be for other people, to encourage them. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have shewed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do shew the same diligence, it takes diligence. It takes striving. Brother Leon Priest, I forget who it was that said years ago that thou shalt not, pin, that thou shalt not pass forth thence until thou hast paid the, uh, uh, the very last might, the uttermost farthing. It takes striving to serve God. Even a dead fish can float downstream. But for us to swim upstream against the current, the current of the world, the current against false doctrines that would mix you up and cause you to think that sin is 
acceptable with God, that there's a way to just live and get by and just, and just to have a base existence. God wants us to thrive. He wants us to thrive and grow and be, be, be prosperous and to be fruitful so that we can be a witness and strengthen the brethren. Like Jesus told Peter, that when thou art converted, converted thou wilt strengthen the brethren. It's not just for us. What if somebody sees us sin and they ask us about that? Well, how do you get by with that? What kind of example is that to those, to those people who, who we would be, would, would show, show the power of God? And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope and to the end. I'm about out of time. And I'm, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. My favorite verse, or one of my, my top five verses in the Bible anyway. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Does that sound like we're partially sanctified? Does that sound like it's just something that's a get by? God wants us, he get, wants to give us everything that we need to have, to have a life filled with all the goodness. That ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. What kind of a life does that speak of? That, life, that speaks of a life of joy and peace, of, of strength. It doesn't, there's not a, there's not a, 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 a tittle of, of weakness in that verse. That we're full of, of power to overcome. Lord, I want to be an overcomer. Amen. Let's see here. I'm going to skip down a few verses. It says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible. Now, this also was impossible. Don't you think it's interesting that he uses that word twice in one chapter or within close proximity to one another? Because it wasn't a chapter when he wrote it. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul not drifting an anchor well i can sin i can i can get by with this that's a drifting existence we have to have as human beings i tell people when people ask they say well why do you believe that there's two works of grace why do you believe that and i I know the people at home forgive me i know i say this all the time but i I feel like the more often i say it i'm saying it i'm saying it to myself because i want to make sure that i never forget it and that the devil knows that i believe it You know, I get up here and if you think I'm nervous, you're right. Because the devil uses it against me and he says, you know, you're nervous. All the stuff you're going to forget. But I can take it. It's like sanctified kung fu where you take it and you you use his weight and his force against him. And you say, no. He said, the power of God gives me me the power. It's nothing that I do myself. But it's the power that I have to use your power and your force against you to say that it's not me. It's the power that I possess within me. The hope that I have that is an anchor. Not something that allows me to drift and be, you know, mushy or mealy-mouthed about what I believe. But I believe that it changes life lives. It's changed my life as long as I will let it, as long as I let it. Now, you know, if, if, if somehow I get lax in my Bible reading, if somehow I, you know, think, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's late, it's late. I I won't read my Bible tonight. The devil will come and he'll, you, you try it. I'm not encouraging you to do this, but you try it. If you don't feel like it's, it, it contributes to weakness of the soul, miss meeting a time or two. You know, don't read your Bible. Don't have communion with God. 
Don't, don't meditate on his good word and just see how much stronger you get. Or, or spend time with something in the world, or not necessarily a sin. I don't mean go out and sin, but I mean something that, you know, that maybe that would occupy your time instead of strengthening yourself in God's word. Just try that and see. That's exactly how the devil works. Works because his job is to, what is it? Steal, kill, and destroy. And, and as you, I believe you preached, he doesn't care how he does it. And which entereth into that within the veil, the most holy place. The place and I'm, I'm going to mention this. I'm not going to read it in the interest of time. Whether the forerunner is for us entered. The forerunner, the teacher, the one who didn't teach us how to live a holy life and leave us hanging. God didn't tell Noah, now there's going to be a flood and, you know, you're, I'm, I, you're going to save your family and all the animals of the earth. But I'm not going to, yeah, good luck. You know, you figure out how to do that. That's basically what the world says when they say that we can't live without without sin. They're basically say, saying that, that are basically telling us that God is saying, "Nah, just fend for yourself." You know, how how impossible those people that laughed at Noah. You know, un, until the door was shut, they're like, "What is what is rain?" You know, what is all this? The forerunner is for us entered. He was our teacher. He was our holy example to show us what could be accomplished with God's help. I sanctify myself. Christ, Christ didn't need to be sanctified, but he sanctified himself because that they also might, might be sanctified through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Made in high priest for forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's why. That's why he was made. I think I can get these, these scriptures out, but I want to be able to tell you where they were. And um, just real quick, I'm going to talk about them in the, in the interest of time. I, I think I can. Think I can um, in the 12th chapter of Matthew, to tell you how serious it is, those people on the internet, the people, and anyone who doesn't believe that, that you can live without sin, don't make Christ the minister of sin. That's what the Bible talks about. But in the 12th chapter of Matthew, I believe, I believe Christ gives an example. And, this, and it says in John, it says Jesus told them things before the Holy Ghost was given. Well, in Matthew, the 12th chapter, there was the, there was the boy that had the, um, he was deaf and dumb and he had devils. And they thought, the, the, uh, the, the leaders of the temple, they said, they said well, you know, he, he's got to be a devil. You know, how can anybody but, but, but Satan cast out Satan? And Jesus told them, he said, he said a kingdom against itself cannot, divided against itself, cannot stand. A person who believes that, that you can't help but sin, you're living in a divided kingdom. You may not understand it, but I'm telling you here this morning that you are living in a divided kingdom and you can't stand. So Christ told him, he said, he said if I cast out if I cast out devils by the power of God, what does he say? The kingdom of God is coming to you. The kingdom is coming to you. I don't want to miss, I don't want to miss it, so I'll... Maybe I got in over my head this morning. I thought I, thought I timed myself. No, I, I don't... I'm humble to be in this spot. I don't necessarily crave this spotlight. I really don't because I know I get nervous. 
but I, I, I want the power of God to work through me. And anyone who stands in this spot, it is a holy spot to stand here. And anybody who says they get nervous, Laurel told me, she said, Dad, I am so nervous. I told her, I said, Laurel, I said, the reason you get nervous is because you revere the job that it is. If it was just a job that you could just do anyway and it didn't matter how you did it, you wouldn't get nervous because you wouldn't care. But because we have respect to this spot and the impact that we possibly have to people listening, that's why we get nervous and we, and, we, and we want to make sure that it goes out the way that God wants it to. The 12th chapter of, of, um, of Matthew. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. I think I, I started a thought and I didn't finish it. When I tell people, people ask about why we believe in two works. You think back to altar services this week. And maybe I've said, I, I'm sure I've said this before, but I believe it. Could God have, have saved us in one work? I guess anything's possible. I mean, I mean, Brother Leon preached a sermon one time and said, 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 said God could have said, let there be salvation and there would be salvation. But God didn't do it that way. Our salvation is born out of great sacrifice. And I believe when a person comes down to the altar for that first work, they are making a sacrifice just like the pattern in the Old, Test, in the Old Covenant, a pattern whereby they had to atone for the sins of the people. The atone for those actual sins that the people committed, the priest had to atone for his sins. The priest wasn't a holy priest. I mean, not, not like Christ. He wasn't that, he wasn't that former priest. So he had to atone for that. So when a person is down here and we've seen it this week, I believe that when you see a person and they're given over to that first work and they're praying and they're, they're trying to make a connection with God and they're trying to forgive themselves and they're trying to get that witness of forgiveness to themselves, God understands our nature. He understands humans, what makes us tick. He understands all about us. Y'all try to imagine for a moment that that person is down there asking for God's forgiveness. And in the same breath, they're saying, and by the way, God, put your spirit within me. I think that humanly that is impossible. Now, maybe you can look at that and say, Ty, you're completely off base. That's fine. But I rationalize that way and say, God gave us what we can handle as humans. And I think he's telling us this, except he first bind the strong man. When you come down to an altar and it's not just forgiveness, we don't, I mean, I mean, it says forgiveness, but it is conversion. You're saying, God, forgive me. And I don't want to go back to those wicked ways. That's conversion. And I believe what you're doing is you are first binding the strong man. You're telling Satan, I'm intending to go with God. I am intending to stay with God all the way. I don't want to go back to your ways. I don't want to feel you nagging me and telling me to sin and to do the things that I, that I, that I would not do, but evil is present. I'm asking God to take care of that. You're binding that strong man. So Jesus, you go on down, um, the 31st verse, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. Here's another topic that you, you don't have for what this, what this means. And, and you could say, Todd, I don't, I don't agree with that. And that's fine. But I believe in the power of these verses, blasphemy 
is, it's, it's, it's called an unforgivable sin. And as long as you don't believe in the power of God, you can't be forgiven. But the very second that you turn around in your heart and say, God can not only forgive me of my sins, he can take away the very nature that causes me to sin in the first place. Christ said, he said, he, he said, he said if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can say unto this mountain, move, and it will be cast into the sea. How possible would that be? What kind of faith does it take to believe that? So the, that's, you know, the, don't believe that. I mean, not believe that. That's basically making the power of God of none effect. So as long as you believe that, you know, that's, that's unforgivable. And Jesus says, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, Jesus, you know, the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Listen, if you don't think it's serious for you to say that God can't save a person from sin, what do you think that's talking about? Blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. To say that the Holy Ghost can't keep me. That's right. That's what it is. It's denying the power of God to work within you and to keep you from sinning. Well, you know, God created the world, but... He can't keep us from sinning. God caused all these miracles. He caused iron to float. He parted the Red Sea. He created Jesus was born of a virgin. But he can't cause a person to keep a person to, to keep from sinning. How does that make any sense? Blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. It shall not be forgiven him neither in this world, neither in the world to come. That's how serious it is. In the old Bible, I'm not going to read it, but very quickly, in the old Bible, in the, the two instances, when the tabernacle was consecrated and the temple was consecrated, what happened? When they had fulfilled all the things that God had asked them to do, it says, and, and the power of the Lord came down. The glory of the Lord filled those places where the priests couldn't even go in and minister. You know, the priests were the, the holiest men at that time. They couldn't even go in. When you ask God for sanctification, it's not a partial thing. It doesn't leave room for the devil. I tell people that the human soul, uh, uh, for the word of God is, is sharp uh, quick and more powerful than any two-edged sword rightly dividing asunder um, Soul and spirit. What I think that means is your soul is a vessel. And maybe people don't like to hear this. Maybe they get a little uncomfortable when you tell them this. But your, their soul is a vessel. And it possesses either the spirit of God or it possesses the spirit of the devil. At no point, at no point in a person's life is their soul a vacuum that is empty. And I believe that I, my personal belief is that when a person comes to God, when they're forgiven and then they're sanctified, instantly Satan is cast out. Amen. He is cast out and the Spirit of God is installed in a person's heart. And I believe that was the pattern of the tabernacle and of the temple, that, that it was filled up, that nothing could go into it. And that's what God expects. When we get sanctified, we're entirely sanctified and instantaneously sanctified so that the devil cannot possess our soul at the same time that God possesses it. I'm going to close with this real quick. In the 13th chapter of St. John, I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture, and I, I apologize for that. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm sorry, maybe that's the way God, God made me, so that, so that, you know, I have to rationalize this out. When I preach a sermon, 
I preach it for myself, and I, and I, I certainly don't expect to, to just get up here and just drone on and on and on. I, I, I don't expect that. But I want, I want to say what God would have me to say for myself as much as for anybody else. Now, I, I know you can say, well, Ty, that sounds kind of selfish. I don't mean for it to be that way at all. But I want to make sure that this point is, is clear and driven home. And I know I can't do that in the, the short amount of time that a sermon takes. But in the 13th chapter of St. John, I was reading this the other day. And to me, this stood out and it gave me this example. And you read, it's all in the Bible. It's all in the Bible that when Satan is cast out, the glory of the Lord comes down and, and sin is not allowed. And then that's when God can come down and minister. In the 13th chapter of St. John, at the Last Supper, it says, Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus told them that one of them would betray it. Of course, the disciples are saying, well, who is it? You know, is it I? You know, they're in their, in their state. They hadn't received the Holy Ghost. They, have, they hadn't been given discernment. So they're thinking, well, who is it? Is it I? And so Jesus answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to, let's see. Yeah. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Listen to this verse. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. Then skipping on down, he then having received the sop, went immediately out. I don't think that's put in there as a coincidence. I don't think that wording just happened. I think it is showing as a personification of sin. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Okay? Here's another therefore. 31st verse. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children... Yet a little while, and I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, he was glorified. When you get sanctified, you get glorified. You get the presence of God. When Satan is cast out, you're given power. Jesus told the disciples, he, he said, I have things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them because they, they didn't have the power of the Holy Ghost. There were things that he wanted to tell them, but they couldn't bear those things. But now, when, when Satan has gone out, immediately he starts giving them these next four, 14, 15, 16, 17 chapters of St. John. He starts saying things to them, what I call the crash course of sanctification that he gave to them before he was arrested that night. Whither, whither I go, ye cannot come, so now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have loved one to another. Listen to this part, okay? They had not been given the Holy Ghost. They had not yet been given the power. So Jesus is saying all this, and then Simon Peter in his, in his boisterous, bold way, he says, he says, "Whither, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst, canst not follow me now, 
but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Why could he not go? Because it was blocked by a flaming sword. That's why it could, he couldn't go there. But you're going to be able to go with me afterward. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. This is in here for our example to show us before we get sanctified, we don't have that power. Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. We don't have the power. We don't have the ability to serve God in the way, in the way that he would have us to until we're sanctified and given that keeping power, that magnificent power that can come in and fill us up and leave no room for the devil. If we allow that, if we want that power in our lives, it comes in and it takes over and it gets rooted and it grows and it, and it, and it, takes over just like that Bermuda grass. I mean, when it's got rain on it and it's been fertilized and given the nutrients that it needs, it just takes over. When you read your Bible and pray and you commune with God and you say, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Give me everything that I need to live a holy, sanctified life. God is not going to leave you hanging in the lurch. I've got, I've got witness to it in my life and people here that have been sanctified for years have witness to it too. It is a wonderful thing. It's the most wonderful thing that can happen to a person to feel God's spirit come down and minister you and minister to you in the midnight hour when, when all around you seems to be chaos and you have thoughts of your life. Well, what am I going to do about tomorrow? How am I going to handle this situation or that situation? God can take care of it if you allow for it too. I appreciate this camp meeting. I've enjoyed everything. And I pray that as we leave this place, that we will take everything that we've heard and not just take it and just keep it to ourselves, but we'll be able to apply it. To be able to apply it to those people that we meet wherever we go, that we can express to them that there is a wonderful way to live, that God has a wonderful life planned for you if you will but trust Him and allow Him to work in your life. Miss Naomi Curry started a song a couple months a couple months ago at home, and it really went all over me. It was a Wednesday night, and I've been thinking about it ever since, because because that word glory is a word that I have just I've just in studying the Bible and reading about the glory, the uh, uh, Jesus, I've been, he's, he's, I'm now glorified. Glory, glory to the Savior. Precious Savior, thou hast saved me, thine and only thine I am. Oh, the cleansing blood has reached me. Glory, glory to the Lamb. Long my yearning heart was trying to enjoy this perfect rest, but I gave all trying over, simply trusting I was blessed. Trusting, trusting every moment, every moment we trust God. Feeling now the blood applied, lying at the cleansing fountain, dwelling at my Savior's side. Consecrated to thy service, I will live and die for thee. I will, I will witness to thy glory of salvation full and free. And then the last verse, skip. Glory to the Christ that bought me. Glory to the cleansing power, that perfect present cleansing. Glory to the God that keeps me. Glory, glory evermore. Praise ye the Lord. If there is a need here this morning, those that aren't sanctified, and I, I try to say this every time, 
every time, those who are, aren't sanctified, those who are sanctified, but you feel like your relationship with God has maybe slipped and it's not what it ought to be, there is no shame in coming to the Lord and asking Him, saying, Lord, I rededicate my life to You. I haven't committed a sin. I haven't done anything to, to separate me from You. But I ask You to, to come and to strengthen me and to give me a blessing and to, and to give me inspiration and to give me something in my heart that will keep me now until my dying breath because that's what I want you to do for me as we stand and sing a song. Everyone that will come down to the altar. Amen.